Alright, Mikey Dingolo and the Naptime Gang. I tell you about Wikipedia pages, the boys discuss them, and you fall asleep. Uh, it's boring enough to fall asleep to, a.k.a. an excuse to be bad. It's going right. to be really good. Yeah. We the, promise. The first one I got for you guys is Timothy Dexter. And the, the Wikipedia article says, This article is about the American businessman. For the bear enthusiast, see Timothy Treadwell. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe we should read the one about the bear enthusiast. Yeah, maybe. Sounds pretty what, good to me. What is a bear enthusiast <laughs> that you get your own Wikipedia page for being a bear enthusiast? He was so enthusiastic about bears that they had to write a Wikipedia. His not his, this really says this. His oh. name's not even similar. It's just also Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy that got eaten by bears? That, like, uh, lived with them and then got eaten by them? Oh, the guy who's in the, the tent and up in the woods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm friends with bears! Yeah, oh, whoops, they, they all killed me. Yeah. <laughs> that guy? Yeah, that guy. No idea what his name is. That's like, uh... <laughs> that was Bear Grylls. The magicians That's how with he the got tigers. The it was Bear Grylls. <laughs> pretty sure it was Bear Grylls. All right. Timothy Dexter. American businessman noted for his writing and eccentricity. American hero. American hero. Born in Malden, Massachusetts, he had very little schooling, worked as a farm laborer. When he was 16, he became an apprentice to a leather dresser. He married Elizabeth Frothingham, a rich widow, and bought a mansion. Some of his social contemporaries considered him unintelligent. Many of them gave him bad business advice to discredit him and make him lose his fortune. You guys got to interrupt me with good stuff or I'm, this is going to... With I'm hot banter? Be, yeah, it's just... I don't have any meaningful insight No, yet. no hot banter. All right. I was born in Connecticut. Um, no, you weren't. No, now we're going to track No, I wasn't. All right. <laughs> At the end of the American Revolutionary War, he bought large amounts of depreciated continental currency that was worthless at the time. Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. That's what they called it. Yeah. He got in early on Bitcoin. He did. When the war was over, the U.S. government made good on the dollars. By the time trade resumed, he had amassed a fortune. Also known as the Bitcoin spike. Bitcoin yes. spike. Yes. And then truly followed by Ethereum, or yeah. Urethrum, or whatever I say when I try and say the word. Urethra? Urethra. The cryptocurrency. Invest now. Urethra coins. You can't tell people to invest. That's like a, a scheme. If oh. you own it, oh, don't, tell don't invest in our <laughs> schemes. <laughs> if you want. But there's no there's no SEC or whatever they're called, so. Uh, he built two ships and began an export business in the West Indies. Because he was largely un uneducated, his business sense was considered peculiar. He sent warming pans Peculiar. <laughs> used to heat sheets in the cold New England winters for sale to the West Indies, a tropical area. That's and the Caribbean, right? The West Indies? I don't know. You tell me. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Is it? I don't think so. tell anyone that I am certified to be a geography teacher and didn't know that. <laughs> Which one? Because Columbus went west and thought it was the Indies, right? That's pretty good. They were just or like, the... no, this is India. <laughs> no, the West Indies, according to Google, is the Caribbean basin. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, we're good. Three-hour uh, flight. So, we sent bed warmers to, West Indies to the tropics, and uh, his captain sold them as ladles for the local molasses industry and made a good profit. <laughs> then he sent wool mittens to the same place and just happened to meet up with Asian merchants who, were, who bought them to sell in Siberia. <laughs> Next, people so, he's a trade genius. He's a genius. Sounds like a genius. That's why I invested in Bitcoin. Next, people told him to ship coal to Newcastle, and he did so during which, the miners' strike. Which is a, a joke, because they produce Newcastle. Mm. That's where they make coal. Yeah. <laughs> what would be, like, the equivalent? Telling someone, like, go... Uh, I don't know. Go sell hoagies in Philly. 
Yeah. Uh, and there just happened to be a minor strike when he got there, so it sold at a premium. Another time, this is straight from Wikipedia, practical jokers told him to make money shipping gloves to the South Sea <laughs> Islands, and they got there just in time to sell the gloves to Portuguese boats on their way to China. <laughs> so the practical joke backfired. Yeah. And he made a bunch of money. Just like your practical joke at the Met backfired. When I tried to lead a fake tour and I just ended up working for them for free? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that literally is the same thing. It backfired and then you worked for them for free. It's okay. We don't have to be funny. This is It's to fall asleep to. Yeah. There's no, no pressure. <laughs> okay. uh, he exported Bibles to the East Indies and stray cats to the Caribbean islands and made a profit. <laughs> stray cats. Because there were Eastern... Yeah, I don't know why this is like one sentence. Eastern missionaries were in need of the Bibles, and the Caribbean welcomed a solution to rat infestation. Maybe they just needed everything. Maybe they were just impoverished nations, and they were like, oh, a thing? Things that got made? Yeah, we'll take it. Cats? Yeah, we don't have any animals here. <laughs> Plus, there was industry. They probably just on. ate them all. They were like, yeah, we need these. Real bad. Nice problem. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> There's still cat farms that started by him. This, all right, this part I don't get. He hoarded whalebone by mistake. <laughs> but ended up selling them profitably as support material for corsets. I've hoarded many things by mistake, including whalebone. <laughs> I don't know. How do you hoard whalebone by mistake, though? Your mom hoards was, whalebone. Maybe was he buying it though, or like, <laughs> like you just, it was from he was just whales. saving saving bones from like whales that they he bought whales. Wait, he sold it. What did he do? Uh, used it for corsets. Maybe his house uh, was on like a, a ridgy peak. A rigid peak, uh, <laughs> and the whales would just crash and die, and so he just had a horde of it. Maybe. <laughs> he was trapping them. He put out, it's like in that Simpsons episode where they have the, the six-pack things to catch fish. Yeah. <laughs> he was using those to catch whales. Um, members of New England High Society rarely socialized with him. Dexter decided to buy a, a huge house in Newburyport from Nathaniel Tracy, Tracy a local socialite. He tried to emulate them. His relationships with his wife, daughter, and son suffered. This became <laughs> evident when he started telling visitors that his wife had died, despite the fact that she was still alive, and that the that's woman a good who prank. That's, <laughs> and the but his explanation was the woman in the house was simply her ghost. <laughs> he told people his wife was dead, and and when they saw her, he said she was a ghost. Did anyone believe it? Maybe this guy was really a genius, guys. Who's trolling his wife? They probably he was a genius millionaire, as yeah. far as I could tell. Actually, you have to be pretty dumb to think people would believe that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he just didn't give a shit about anybody. Or when was this He's guy just a from? Rich. Let's what see. Post Civil War, seventeen forty-seven to eighteen oh six. What's continental money then? <laughs> I, oh, I got was... I got another death one. He faked his own death to see how people would react. <laughs> About 3,000 people showed up to his mock wake, but his wife didn't cry. And after he revealed the hoax, he caned his wife for not grieving sufficiently. <laughs> so how did he, I wonder how he faked his own death even to his wife. Or to anybody. <laughs> I don't know. Would he just write an article, this guy died, send it into the newspaper. <laughs> when people read newspapers. That's what I mean. Just, now now just people went to the funeral house and videos and to fall asleep. <laughs> you can't fall asleep with a newspaper. Maybe he dressed someone up in his clothes and killed him. <laughs> left him in his bed or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe he used a sculpture because he decorated his estate with 
minarets, a golden eagle on top of a cupola, a mausoleum for himself, and in the garden, 40 wooden statues of famous men, including George Washington and Napoleon and Thomas Jefferson and himself. <laughs> well, he belongs up there with those great leaders. The inscription on his was, I am the first in the East, the first in the West, and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. <laughs> he made a great book on philosophy. A now famous quote. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about his book. Yeah. At age 50, he authored A Pickle for the Knowing Ones, or Plain Truth in a Homespun Dress, <laughs> in which he complained about politicians, clergy, and his wife. 8,847 words. Handed this out. 8,000 words with no punctuation and random capitalization. <laughs> it was he, handing he, it out for free. And well, then, I wonder if that had to do with typesetting or something. Maybe you should no. say, no, you don't. Well, no. not that it would cost money or something, but maybe he was just so lazy because they were all like little, you had to like typeset all the letters. No, well, no imagine himself. What? He didn't typeset it himself. Yeah, I guess you're no, right. No, don't worry. In the second edition, he added an extra page with 13 lines of punctuation with the instructions that you could salt and pepper them as you please. You know what I mean? You don't think that he could have just no. like, been like, ah, just whatever, just do whatever. Yeah, probably not, huh? He started handing the book out for free, but he uh, he he ended. He realized he could sell it. Just a book of him complaining so about local people. Yeah, the gossip <laughs> book. People wanted to buy it, see if they were in it. Just one one idiot's complaints <laughs> yeah. about his wife and other people. He Imagine knows. having to read a whole book to find something. Couldn't just control F and find it. <laughs> find your own name in the book. <laughs> I wrote here, get some excerpts of the book, and I didn't do it. So oh, very interesting. Is, no, I don't want to be too interesting. Oh, We're trying to fall asleep here. It's nap time. Very here. interesting. <laughs> uh, so I got I got another one for you guys. You know you know when you go to Chuck E. Cheese, not the guy in the costume, but like the the stage like robots. The robots. The animatronics. Yeah. The animatronics. So there's a forum for people who are like animatronic fans, and they talk about Chuck E. Cheese like concerts. So, so they're like, when is the new concert dropping? And, and these are grown adults that go to Chuck E. Cheese restaurants and, and they like write on forums about which, which one they're visiting. And uh, does anyone know, this is, this is from it. Hi, I was wondering if anybody had some information on what songs will be in the January show or if they know anything else about it. Wait till next week when the show ships. I'll have the lineup as soon as my store gets it. I wish I was as interested in something as somebody who was interested in animatronic Chuck E. Cheese. Probably pretty great. Drive that's, around the that's country. That's a good spin. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make fun of these people, but at least they have a hobby. Mm, yeah. They drive around the country <laughs> looking, seeking out robots. At least they have a, a reason to live. <laughs> now, Chuck E. Cheese doesn't cost anything, right? To get in? To get in, yeah. Well, you have to have a kid with you, right? Because you no. can't just let anyone in. I don't know. So you just in? A grown adult... You Walking in on their wrong. own, like that's a pedophile. I bet the the <laughs> real the reality is that these people that Chuck E. Cheese knows that these people exist and have to put up with them in some capacity. I would that's that's, that's why they have knows. a you need a kid rule. Maybe <laughs> they don't want those people to go in. <laughs> these people have like their their baby died and they carried around and that's why they're so traumatized and follow around <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese birthday shows. I just find a random kid and convince him to go to Chuck E. Cheese with me so I can watch the show. Yeah, they should release, uh, oh, you're one of these fans? <laughs> what's what's your name on the forum? What's your username? 
Chuck E. Cheese fan 420. That's why Mike adopted <laughs> a kid. Uh, you listeners couldn't see, but he did air quotes around adopted. The many listeners. <laughs> they should release uh, Chuck E. Cheese concert keys. Like, uh, Austin 27, 2007. Tour dates on the back. Yeah. Uh, Rockstar Birthday was the shortest running birthday show, according to CEC Fan 1209. But Mario555 says, shorter than the full one minute of 93 Birthday Star. <laughs> Got him. I, oh. I wonder if those people are like, because somebody has to program those and put the shows together and do all that stuff. I wonder if those people are just that. So, no. You don't think so? Uh, it looks like one of the guys might work for them, but I wonder if he, he goes to this forum because he works there or if he got the job because he was obsessed with it. Yeah. It just seems like one of those things, like... I what? wouldn't hire anyone who was obsessed with Chuck E. Cheese to work at Chuck E. Cheese. No. Yeah, if you have no. too much enthusiasm for Chuck E. Cheese, you're creepy. probably a pedophile. Pedophile, yeah. <laughs> probably. And these people are, like, counting down to, like... A new program for these ro- a new costume and a new program for these robots to move to. Like Maybe they don't do anything works, exciting. Uh, yeah, they strange. barely move. How do you even get that interested in that? You have nothing going on in your life. You get like raped by a guy in a Chuck E. Cheese costume. <laughs> Maybe probably want to stay you, away from Chuck E. You've Cheese. never grown up. <laughs> you've never it's grown up, so you still love Chuck E. Cheese. Ah, I know. Actually, or, their parents actually, never brought them to Chuck E. Cheese. I bet. <laughs> Most kids don't even like those. They're scary, scary robots uh, that move you guys, weirdly. There's no Chris Chan, right? No. No. Yes. Well, we can't explain it because that's like a whole other thing. But he's I think he's he a explain it. people have done it. There's a good documentary out. What is it? He's a, like an internet weirdo, and he like draws like comics and and like posts them, and people make fun of him and troll him. They've trolled him into a horrible life. He, like, burned down his house and... Oh, like, so, like, they tried to do a Timothy Dexter. I know yeah, somebody they, burned down their house. Yeah, they <laughs> pretend to be a girl and, like, get him to send them naked pictures. They've ruined really? his life. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh... He has a medallion of a yes. character that he made up, and uh, people would troll him into sending them the medallion and then send him videos of them, like, destroying it. I, I, but my, my reason for bringing this up, because I feel like it's been done before, but my reason for bringing it up is he uh, changed his name to because of an animatronic bear or something. So I think it was a band, an animatronic band that uh, has a person that talks through it, you know? So like kids talk to it and there's a person with a microphone somewhere else and the guy misheard and thought his name was Christian. So he changed his name. Really? He yeah. changed his name to Christian? Is this, is this post all this crazy... That's from Deep Lore. Not is, everyone knows that one. Is this post crazy, all this crazy stuff happening in his mm-hmm. life? It's when he was a kid. Oh, okay, all right. Um, so he was crazy his whole life. Yeah. So that's how <laughs> so you get then, to be a Chucky. E. When did he change his name? When he was a kid, I think. For a little history, okay. Sonichu is literally what it sounds like. It's Sonic and Pikachu. Basically, Sonic colored as Pikachu is all it is. <laughs> so yellow Sonic. And he takes it very seriously. <laughs> sounds pretty um, serious. You guys know Bowling for Soup? Yeah, 1985. That yeah, that guy's the, the Chuck E. Cheese voice now. Really? Who's yeah. that? It's a band. He's just uh, like a band from. For, he's a voice for the commercial, or uh, I don't know. Maybe everything. <laughs> Does he sing for the animatronic band? Maybe. But Wait, these, Bowling these for Soup was one man. One no, man no, no, band. No, that was a band, and the singer from it oh, is okay. right. the Chuck E. Cheese guy now. Now it's Chuck E. Cheese still in business. I gotta see these. <laughs> I gotta see what their reaction to a voice change was. It's probably the worst day of their lives. Yep. 
One of the best. Maybe they counted it down. Just saw the show today from Oceanside. Love the programming for this new show. Saw the show yesterday at Vista, too, but they forgot to turn on the rest of the show. Overall, I'm loving 2015 so far. They must get very angry when they go and, like, something's wrong or not working. And they know it, and the three-year-olds don't. <laughs> or so maybe, this person went to two places. Or maybe they sit down and employees. take notes of it happily. They're like, uh, Robot 1 malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> Can't three, wait to post three, about this on 309 the error code. I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I imagine it is. That's probably. Yeah. Alright, I got I got another guy for you. Ord Wingate. Uh, Ord? Ord. O-R-D-E. Let's see. He was a an unconventional military thinker. He valued surprise tactics. He was a British army officer known for deep penetration missions in Japanese held territory during the Burma mm -hmm. campaign. What's the is it Myanmar? But it'll always be Burma Myanmar? to me. Now you may call it Myanmar, but it'll always it be Myanmar? Burma to me. It's not Myanmar? We were talking about Seinfeld. What? I was saying Myanmar? Seinfeld. Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> I've watched Seinfeld a couple times. <laughs> uh, so he got assigned to Palestine and set up a joint British-Jewish counterinsurgency unit. He created units in Abyssinia and Bur Burma. Abyssinia, Harry. Modern-day Ethiopia. Oh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> He got Winston Churchill's attention with his aggressive philosophy of war and was given resources to stage a large-scale operation. Uh, he affected the outcome of important battles. Um, I'll just skip to some, some interesting stuff. So we'll start... Interesting? In whoa, whoa. Not yeah, we too don't want to get too interesting. Yeah. All right. He, he belie believed that resistance to infection could be improved with a tough mental attitude. But medical officers... Ah, getting shot by smaller bullets to be resistant to bigger bullets. Is that homeopathy? Yes. No, you got to take a really small bullet and mix it in some water and then drink it. What, just water? Just not water. A, not mix it a hundred times? Well, you mix it in water, then you mix that into water, then you mix that water into water. And then it's basically... They're like, not joking. And then you this just sell homeopathy. <laughs> no, but his idea was just you got to be tougher than it. When, when he was I'm a kid, tough. He, he, to be fair, <laughs> he was tough. When he was a kid, they sent him to school, and it was like, yikes. That sucks. <laughs> ah, school. No, thank you. So he, he went to some, like, British school that kids lived at as a day boy, which I assume is the <laughs> British word for you don't live there. So he was a day boy. Uh, and, I bet he got uh, made fun of. I bet he got called day boy. At, <laughs> at the Royal Military Academy of Woolwich, he committed a minor offense against the rules for which a first-year student would be subjected to a ragging ritual named running. So this is they strip you and force you to run a gauntlet of senior students who wield a knotted towel used to hit them. <laughs> and then when you get to the end... They throw you in icy cold cistern of water. Danny, what's a cistern? A big bowl. Mm. A big okay. So when it came came time <laughs> for like him to run the gauntlet, well, for a foundation, a cistern is like a chamber under your house. It's like a separate. Oh really? Yeah, chamber. A cistern of water is like a, a, a giant barrel, I guess. It's like a water tower, but not necessarily a tower. So he returned a horse to the stables too late. So when he had to run the gauntlet, he walked up to the senior student at the head of the gauntlet and stared at him and dared him to strike him. And he refused, <laughs> so he went to the next one and did the same, 
all the way down the line, and then at the end, he jumped in the water on his own. <laughs> Probably to build up resistance to disease. If he wasn't yeah. a stupid day boy, he could have returned the horse whenever he wanted. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, with his dad's cousin Rex's encouragement, he uh, got into the army, and then he got leave from the army to go to the Sudan, and he went to Cairo, and he sent his luggage ahead of him, and then he rode a bike there, like, through France and Germany, from and Czechoslovakia, Austria, Yugoslavia, and then he took a boat from Genoa to Egypt. This guy was pretty tough. Yeah. I bet he never got sick. He was too tough. I bet he's still alive. And, and he went to Ethiopia to patrol and catch slave traders and ivory poachers. But he changed, he wasn't. He got put in charge, and he changed the regular method of patrolling to ambushes. What? <laughs> Instead of just walking around to, to try and stop people, he wanted to ambush them and catch them. Um, <laughs> he was given a local command of a, a, a company of 300 soldiers in the rank of Bimbashi. Bimbashi? It's a local rank. And then in and then he uh it says he was never happier than when in the bush with his unit. <laughs> uh in the bush with his unit. Yeah. And I think this is in Ethiopia where Oh I get it, that was a gay joke. Where Mike will be happy to know that Well, we'll maybe we'll get to that later. At the end of his tour, uh he mounted a short expedition to Libyan desert to investigate the lost army of Cambyses mentioned in the writings of Herodotus and he was looking for an oasis that he couldn't find he met oh he he on a boat he met a 16 year old traveling with her mother and they got married uh, <laughs> how old the was mother he? or the 16 year old the 16 year old and how old is he well I think they got married like a year or two later so I mean come on <laughs> um you're right, it's totally normal to marry a teenager stranger on a boat. Yeah. No, they got married like a year or two later. Oh, all right. Um, so he he had to go to like when they when they were making Israel and he was like against Palestinians and he became politically involved. Let's see, why did I include this part? Did he do anything cool? In Is this it really part? boring? Make sure you read it. Um We're trying to put people to sleep. Yeah. He raised small units of British-led Jewish commandos armed with grenades and light infantry to combat revolts. Um, he got really into this part. This, this was like a big part in the Wikipedia page that I cut down a lot. Um, he convinced them to give him a group that he named after a judge. I don't know. Skipping around. We're skipping all the good parts to bore you guys. Yeah, so much oh, more I'm interesting to skip stuff. The boring parts. Oh, it's called Gideon Force. Uh, so Gideon World War II Force. breaks out, and eventually his friend Wavell, commander in chief of the Middle East Command, invites him to the Sudan to begin operations against Italian occupation forces in Ethiopia. Italians, huh? Italian like you. <laughs> uh, it was their second try that they got Ethiopia because they couldn't even take it on their first try. Mm. Mm. It was all a ruse. Danny, get they did get it on Mike. purpose. Did on purpose. Tell Mike that the Italians failed. Uh, like the Italians failed. Not true. They're they tried first. to conquer Ethiopia. It's all Italian and, propaganda. And couldn't do it. They didn't even have food, and they they backed off the Italians because the Italians were, like, hey, it's a me. <laughs> they fell asleep on a bed of meatballs. <laughs> Say something else racist to Mike. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
they they were they were pulling the the pins out of the grenades like this. <laughs> that's real good radio to do hand gestures. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's pretty much the highlights of there is the anti mic stuff. <laughs> he, he had a small force of seventeen hundred men and got twenty thousand Italians to surrender. He contracted malaria and sought treatment from a local doctor instead of army medical staff because he was afraid that the illness would give his detractors further excuse to undermine him. Uh, and his doctor gave him a large supply of the drug Adabrine, which can produce depression as a side effect. Um, Wait, if he was so tough, how'd he get malaria? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Apparently he wasn't tough. Uh, I guess he was wrong. What do you need all these drugs for, huh? Tough guy. Well, he attempted suicide... In a pretty Not tough way. He tried to stab himself in the neck. <laughs> what did he do, uh, miss? Uh, uh, Jump off a cliff, idiot! <laughs> another off... He probably tried to pull his own head off. Probably. <laughs> but another officer's prompt action saved him. So he got sent to Britain to recuperate, and uh, a highly edited version of the story made its way to Churchill, which I think is why he didn't make it very high. So the next section is eccentricities. So this I got this is why I got this because hey, we haven't gotten to we heard all this yet. and we didn't get to the good part. Oh my god, I'm gonna fall asleep. In the Timothy Dexter <laughs> one, it said like known for, and it was like being eccentric, and I was like I just googled like Wikipedia eccentric. Um, so he's known for his eccentricities. For instance, he often wore an alarm clock around his wrist. <laughs> alarm clock, a like, whole alarm uh, clock. Flavor Flav. Yeah. The original. He had raw onions and garlic on a string around his neck, which he would originally bite into as a snack. The reason he used to give was to ward off mosquitoes. It wasn't to no, scare they, away vampires? Yeah, yeah, it was for vampires. It definitely was for vampires. Uh, he just yeah, didn't want anybody to know he was scared of vampires. Do you know about that guy so Dad tough. used to work with? That would, like... He chewed garlic so yeah, that people would... Yeah, yeah. Because he, he hated everyone. He would eat dirty potatoes, like, with dirt on them, just, just to gross people out. Uh, he peed on the radiator so it would smell in a room that he had to be in. <laughs> this guy was just like a jerk. We, I should have had Dad guest star to tell about this. This is more interesting than this guy. Uh, <laughs> and then he wanted to like kill his neighbor's tree, so he was asking people at work like how to do it. And some guy told him copper a bunch nails? of fake ways. Yeah, he was like, put copper nails in like at five inch increments. You just tell him fake things. To <laughs> do. That's fake. Is that fake? Well, I don't, I don't know. know what it was, but I he, think that's real. Well, he told the guy fake yeah, yeah, things, yeah, yeah. and maybe that was the real one. Bad advices. He gave him bad advices. <laughs> uh, so back to Ord Wingate. He went around. He often went about without clothing. In Palestine, <laughs> recruits were used to having him come out of the shower to give them orders, wearing nothing but a shower cap and an alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing to scrub himself. I'm just picturing him like dressed like the like. 1800s like explorer guy but but like naked he just has like the hat and like panama jack hat <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the boots or something he has pockets around a belt <laughs> and no clothes um and he carries a maybe this a was, riding crop maybe this was part of his way of uh surprising he said he was an ambush guy right yeah that he extra <laughs> surprised his enemies because he would be naked mm. that's, that's a good bush. play yeah <laughs> His in the bush with his unit. Yeah. <laughs> Naked. <laughs> Winston Churchill's physician wrote in his diaries that he seemed uh, hardly sane. Hardly. Yeah. 
He was apparently going to be Churchill's protege, but it was short-lived because he was too mad for high command. Too <laughs> mad. Uh, mad. He set up a training center in Burma, and he attempted to toughen them up by having them camp in the Indian jungle during the rainy season, and it was disastrous. They There's a very high sick rate. In one battalion, 70% of the men went absent from duty due to illness. <laughs> I mean, if they're that weak, I don't want that 70% anyways. <laughs> yeah, they're not tough enough to not get sick from uh, sleeping in the jungle in the, rain, <laughs> in the rain season? What was it? Yeah, that, that should toughen you up. I think so. Toughen me up when I did it. <laughs> Tell he, us more. <laughs> he contracted typhoid by drinking water from a flower vase in a Cairo hotel. What? And Why did he drink water Dr. from a vase? shocked because it's, it's like standard practice to drum into servicemen that you should never use such a source as drinking water. And he wanted to prove how tough he was. And what kind of person would want to use that as drinking water anyway? He didn't die from it. He died when his plane crashed in India. Was he flying it? No. And and there that was, was the problem. nine others. <laughs> and the bodies were charred beyond recognition. So with the medical practices of the day, it was hard to identify them. But there's an episode of Johnny Quest where he's <laughs> still alive. And like his death was, there's a quote, a bit of a charade and a devilishly clever one at that. <laughs> and he just he faked his own death, and then they just run like into Timothy him. Just like Timothy Dexter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or maybe he did a uh, successful suicide. That was it. Oh, <laughs> he grabbed the wheel yeah. and he steered the plane himself. into a He mountain. did grab the wheel of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next guy is a captain of industry. He's an architect. Like Timothy Dexter, yeah. captain of industry. He's an architect, a marine biologist, an importer-exporter. Any guesses? J.P. Pierpont Morgan. Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay. I actually did find a, a LinkedIn for Art Vandalay that someone made when I was trying to think of other jobs he had. <laughs> Wait, Art Vandalay's a real person? This is a real person? No. Oh, no. no. Troll. Oh, okay. It was a picture. It was a picture. You got me all excited for this great guy I was going to hear It was about. a picture of George Costanza, but it was a LinkedIn <laughs> for Art Vandalay. What, what do you think of this? LinkedIn Park. Oh, I think that's a great joke right there. All right. That's too funny, TJ. The people were all about to fall asleep, and now they're just no, cracking got, up. All right, I got one for you guys to, laughter. to riff on. I, you guys need some input, because this is a pretty short article. The letters of last resort are four identically worded, handwritten letters from the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to commanding officers of the four British ballistic missile submarines. So it says... there so like letters. the command codes? No, it says... What to do in the event that a nuclear strike has destroyed the British government or made it or incapacitated the prime minister or the, the next ranking person. So what does it say in them? Because they're, uh, they're inside two nested safes in the control room of the submarine. So you have the to safe unlock inside a safe. A safe inside was the they couldn't even make a safe with two keys or two combos. <laughs> just have a it's safe literally a safe, safe inside a safe. But no one knows what they say. And when a new prime minister comes in, the old ones are destroyed unread. So what do you write <laughs> in a letter for if the government is destroyed? We're What's fucked. Your plan? They just wrote that and put it in the safe. <laughs> That's all, all it big, says. All big joke. So the the one coming in doesn't get to read the old ones either. Nobody gets to see them unless the government is destroyed. Right, so no one except the Prime Minister has seen any of these. So what are you writing in it? Are you like, 
destroy them, or are you like, oh, it doesn't matter? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Does he write them at Maybe. the beginning? Does he rewrite them? Maybe it's like, blow up Russia, we hate them. Or does it change? But why? Why would you care if the government is destroyed? Avenge, Revenge. Avenge my death. Yeah. They finally get him back after all these years. Oh, <laughs> I actually figured out what it says. It says, I heard you like safes. <laughs> I, no, dog. I think <laughs> it's just a meme. I think it's the password to the prime minister's computer to delete his porn stash. Oh, probably. <laughs> That's, That's smart. <laughs> that makes more sense than a revenge plan. And then the new prime minister coming in has to re-fill uh, the porn stash. Ah. Starts a new one. <laughs> I could see they a destroy low the quality, letters, uh, destroy the hard drives, and then he starts a new stash. Yep. I could see a low quality sci-fi thing about. Like, the world is destroyed and only the people on a submarine lived, or something. Mm-hmm. Right. No one steal that grand idea. <laughs> Remember, I, I said one of the topics that I looked up, or that I, that I had in the list, I looked up and, like, a famous YouTuber already covered it? Yep. Instead of that, I'm just going to do the, uh, the sponsor message now. So this podcast is brought to you by... Avocado toast smartphone gluten free depression. And we're back from our commercial break. <laughs> that totally real commercial for real product you should all buy. Alright. The next Wikipedia article is Charles Caleb Colton. This is kind of a short one. Is this a, a Marvel character? Because he's three C's. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson. Well, is it a Marvel character? Peter Parker. J. Jonah all, Jameson. All the... oh, that's, a, that's a thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Too interesting. Edit uh, that part out. It's way too interesting. <laughs> What's the guy who made up all the Marvel stuff? Stan, Stan Lee. Lee. Stan Lee. It, he does say co-creator next to his name, I think, or something. Well, he's co-creator well, on know, everything. But, but, yes. He's also but maybe just creator he's just, on many things. But maybe he's just the face of it all. Maybe some poor guy came up with all these great superhero ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I heard uh, a rumor that they were going to kill him in one of his, like, you know how he shows up in every superhero movie? Yeah. 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 Probably just a rumor. They filmed several where he dies so that after he actually dies, they can put one of those oh, into that? a movie. Oh, that'd be good. So for his last cameo. What's that uh, bodybuilder, the Italian one? Franco Colombo? No, he's not. Is he Hulk? Who's Hulk? The deaf one. Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. He's in one of the Hulk movies. He was a Hulk TV show. Yeah, no, but yeah. he's in one of he's the new ones. Cameo. Oh, really? Yeah, like Stan Lee's in it. Oh, that's he's in it too. Yeah, I and think he was in uh, like the second reboot. Yeah. The bad one. Just kidding, they're all bad. No, the first reboot was <laughs> the liked, bad uh, one. The second reboot was a good one. The funny one. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I think I watched like three of them. I didn't like any you, of them. You would like Deadpool? Because you, play, you played Marvel vs. Capcom, mm -hmm. so you probably already liked it. Oh, nerd now, huh? Call me out. Yeah, you're a nerd. <laughs> all right. And Italian. So this guy was educated at Eton College and King's College. He, I don't know if he was a day boy or not. <laughs> but th those are British schools. So a college doesn't mean... But he he was beaten for returning the horse too late. Yeah. It builds character. <laughs> you know uh, Captain Hook went to Eton College? Is this, is this real? It's in the, the book, one of the books. I thought it was a play. It's there's, a, there's three books and a play written by the same guy. And then obviously the Disney one. Captain Hook like the Peter Pan? Yeah. I think it was originally a play, and then more stuff was written. And then a book? Did I, they... I'm, I'm almost... I'm like 95% sure it was originally a play. Did they base Captain Hook off of a real person? No, no. no it's just... uh, In the play, you know how it's like played by the same character as the dad? Yeah. He's just like a villain. Also, Peter Pan was like not a villain, but he was so, way different. In so the, this guy must be a villain because he went to villain school. The original book or 
some of this might come from the prequels and the sequels, but it's kind of brutal. Yeah, he killed the Lost Boys when they got too old. Yeah, because he, he didn't age. Yeah. But when they got older, he killed them. Because they, they did he not age. killed the Lost Boys? Yeah. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. Also, you know, like, the, the alligator with the alarm clock? That's, yep. uh... That made it into the Disney cartoon, but that's, like, mortality. Oh, no. no, TJ, you're right. It was first first used Peter Pan as a character in The Little White Bird, an adult novel, where he appears as a seven-day-old baby in the ch- chapter entitled Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens. Yeah, he gets, he gets uh, lost, and his parents, like, replace him with a new baby or something, and that's how he becomes Peter Pan. Yeah. That's, like, the literal... Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. That's then, his then origin the next story. Is, yeah. yeah, then the next thing is the play Peter Pan or the boy who couldn't grow up, and then book and book and whatever Disney movie. So he but, was just like mentioned in one book, and then they wrote a play about him. Yeah, Captain Hook is like Eaton College is like fancy, so he's like a like a dandy. Oh, E T O N. Yeah, that's on crosswords like every day, every day of my life. Oh. So so he says uh, the truest test of breeding. He was. Never more sinister than when he was most polite. And he dresses like uh, King Charles II because someone told him that he looked like him. And uh, some guy someone like Someone told the character, yeah, Captain yeah, Hook, that he yeah. looks like King Charles. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, uh, he murders one of his own crew with his hook for accidentally brushing up against him and ruffling <laughs> his lace collar. How does he do any pirating when he's so concerned about his lace collar? Well, you gotta be tough so that your crew does it. Yeah, I'm pretty tough about my lace collar. (laughs) (laughs) Toughest part about me. That actually gets under their skin more. Like, if you looked like a pirate, they'd be like, yeah, he's tough. But if if you look like a dandy, and then you're cutting people up with your hook... If you look like a day boy... You just... That's insane. You're just like, this guy's nuts. It's the same way, like, like, pimps dress up and have, like, their nails done and stuff. No, they're just rich. They just want to show everybody how rich they are. That's what he's doing. Yeah, okay, fair enough. He's not the only villain, though. The leader of the Redskins, their words, not mine, is... The Washington Redskins yeah. football team. He, well, he was only able to write in Peter Pan about the Redskins because they took away the trademark of the Redskins. They took the trademark away? This was a story like 10 years ago for it being I racist. <laughs> they Great Big Little Panther... Killed and scalped so many people that the enormous quantities of others' flayed skin hanging from his person makes it difficult for him to move. (laughs) (laughs) And he still kills more people? Yeah. But those are the villains. But Peter Pan is just a casual murderer, like Mike said. Yeah. So even the the hero of the play murders people. I don't even know if he's a hero. He, like, kidnaps some little kids. and Peter Pan? Yeah, and makes them fly. I think in the, the thing I read... That I didn't read just right kidnaps now. Kidnaps children, was, then when they grow up, he murders them. I think it was just supposed to be like a, a, a metaphorical thing or something, or some sort of interesting writing. Still a serial killer. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know anything about that. Well, he <laughs> makes them go there, and then right when they get there, he's like, let's have an adventure. We kill someone. <laughs> and then he, he murders someone. Unprovoked, he murders the lost boys. Oh, here's his backstory. He tries to return to his mother... After flying away on the day of his birth, but she has already replaced him with another child. As a as a result, he has a hatred of adults. Is that where the window thing came from? Like him peering in the window at the kid that replaced him. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, Peeping Peter. <laughs> and then, so all right, so you got two villains. You got Peter Pan. Surely Tinkerbell is innocent. 
Turns I out have fairies, a feeling you're gonna say she's not. Fairies are jerks in this, or and in the the prequel material. Well, she's pretty sassy in the Disney movie too. She's more than sassy. <laughs> she she tricks a lost boy into shooting Wendy to try and kill her because she's jealous. <laughs> um, the only phrase that the the kids learn in the fairy language is "you silly ass" because that's the only thing she says to them. <laughs> uh, she's always swearing, and she's known for that. That's actually apparently where her name comes from. The phrase is a tinker's dam, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. Yeah. Sounds nope. like Cockney slang. Again, things I should have looked up. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know about that, but so it's it's just pretty crazy. How do we get talking about Peter Pan? We're on that guy with three C's. And Eaton. Oh, Eaton College. College. Crossword. That's in Crossword. We're talking about Crosswords. What's the clue? No, no, no. We're talking about Crosswords. What's the clue in Crosswords? Something about school or something. Nice, good school or something. Or Where is it? It's in, it's in England. But yeah. I read... It's British school then? Uh-huh. I read a book that we used to have in the bathroom that was like rules to sports. And it had a bunch of weird ones. And one of them's called Eaton Fives. Hmm? And it's a game that they invented there. And you can only play in like five places because the court is uh they're playing it on like a church so there's like a buttress and there's a ledge in it so you have to play it in like a a little square like you can't play it in a racquetball court because you need a buttress and a ledge (laughs) that like that place naturally had and like other fancy schools that's funny yeah other fancy schools will like build that specific this reminds me of a sport i just found out about that I wish I knew the name to, but it's essentially rugby in Italy. Have you ever heard of this? What's it called? I don't know, but you f- you literally fight people. Like literally, people literally like the teams get on top of each other and punch each other and kick each other. I thought that was rugby. No, it's like a lot of fighting. I think they just kick the ball. It's played on like this really Soccer. small court, and then you like dunk the ball in the entire end of the court. It's very very strange. They dunk it. I don't know, it's like a big barrel at the end, and you just, like, throw the ball in. Hey, guys, remember Dunkaroos? And there's, like, two, there's, like, a ref for each team, and the refs break up fights, like, that's what their job is, not, or, like, stop them when they become too much. It's very, very strange. How do they decide what's too much? I don't know, indiscretion, or discretion, their own discretion. This this is all more interesting than the actual guy, (laughs) who's, like, three-paragraph Wikipedia page I copied. Well, that means it's too interesting. We're trying to put people to sleep. Oh, here. so I should talk about the Marvel character guy? Yep. He was appointed vicarage of Koo and Petersham, so like a church, and his performance was erratic. He left formal church service when his contemporaries believed he had fled from his creditors who took a legal docket out against him, identifying him as a wine merchant. A wine merchant? Yeah, so he, so he left England and traveled through America for two years, then he moved to Paris, and he invested in an art gallery, and he had a, a private collection of valuable paintings, and uh, he collected wine, so maybe they were right, and did partridge shooting. Like, is, is that when you when you say, like, pull on TV? Or, no, that's no, play, that's, uh, play uh, pigeons. Skeet. I think oh, skeet shooting. shooting. I think partridge shooting is just partridges. partridges. Yeah. <laughs> and he went to gaming salons of Paris, and in a year or two, he had, like, 25,000 pounds or they give it in pounds. What makes a salon? What's a salon, Danny? What kind of salon? No, I mean, just the word salon. Is it like shop? It's a barber well, shop the, for a little bit. Oh, the old that, type of no, salon no. is you go to somebody's house and talk about politics. That's what a salon Or gossip. Means? 
the salon in Paris that's was, was, a, was a big art gallery thing. Remember the, yeah, yeah. All but the then you have salons nowadays, which are just beauty parlor. Right? Danny's talking about like when you learn about the Age of Enlightenment, and then yeah, like, and know. that's what they say. They say salon. Yeah. So yeah. this word means nothing. It means area. It's probably a word <laughs> used by people Place. who say parlor, like pizza parlor. Remember we were talking about this words no. that that like don't mean anything. No, like, like salon. There's, pe- there's a set of words that people use that's like sofa instead of couch, and like. They say pizza parlor. Fizzy drink instead of soda. No, that's British <laughs> That's just people. British people. <laughs> Dayboy. Clammy Rogers. Dayboy instead of TJ. <laughs> I don't... Why did I even write this guy down? Oh, so he lost his whole family fortune, his, all, his whole fortune on gambling, and then he was living off his family, and he got an illness that required surgery, but he was no, afraid he wasn't of surgery. tough enough. Yeah. Well, he also <laughs> killed himself instead of getting surgery. Did he stab himself in the neck or did he push out? It doesn't <laughs> say. But he, oh, he wrote like books that are in his, he wrote quotation books. And one of the things that he's most famous for is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Really? Yeah. That's his quote? I guess that's mm-hmm. him. From the Eaton guy. How about What's his name? CCC. Oh, CC. okay. They call him CC for the short. Captain, Captain America guy. Charles Caleb Colton. You guys heard of marble racing? Yes, I've seen it. You saw that? I think I've seen it where they like put them down a thing and they like yeah. announce it like it's ESPN yes. of marbles. Yes. So it's <laughs> a big thing. Yeah, it's like Olympics. And they, they do it in sand, I think, right? Uh, there's tracks, there's sand, <laughs> and there's <laughs> there's someone who's like announcing it, like green, limey green is limey green. He's coming to make. He's gonna make yeah. a pass down the way. By, red by red. Yeah. No, no, there's teams. So the teams will be like green, red, rainbow, and then the names of them will be like limey versus flamey, and like like. And there's returning champions and things. Yes. And Where does this happen? This is this British? And... No, it's a YouTube thing. And this YouTube? guy, the, the guy, are all about uh, it. is it? There's multiple people involved. I've seen one thing on it. Well, even each one involves multiple people, like editing by, like announcing by, and then they they keep track of like the standings and stuff. Hilarious. And then they do like... Are all the marbles just at the top and they just like lift the thing? It looks like a gate, like a horse racing, right? (laughs) Where they just like, all the the gates open. It's a serious thing. It's literally that. So it's Pinewood Derby, but... Dumber, and they they go different Better, speeds. I think is what you like mean. better, yeah. It's like that. It it works out, and they're like coming from around the back. Yeah, pale yellow. <laughs> it's pretty intense. <laughs> I'm gonna bring up. I metal. can imagine. I'm gonna get a marble and bring a metal one or something. Will metal w- work? Where to? Chris Chan's bedroom or whoever's doing this? Whoever's doing, I'm gonna go kick it over. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do in real life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I got, I got like three more things, two or three more things. Hechican or Hecachan was a sixth a Pokemon. Sixteenth century Japanese tea connoisseur and poet from Kyoto. His birth and death dates are unknown. His birthplace? Unknown. Do they have any idea when he lived? It is said he learned the tea ceremony from the tea master Takino Ju. I wonder if they know in China. They, they actually don't us. even know his name, because different sources have his name listed differently. Do you think they know in China and we just as Americans don't know? No, I think he's just a 16th century guy who was not prominent when he was born. Mm. So, you don't have to go back very far to have a hard time finding dates. Yeah. For for a normal person, not like George Washington. I don't know how records get when they get into the 1600s. I imagine they're pretty, I don't know, hard to figure out. Yeah, a lot of times it has like 
your baptism date and not your birth date because yeah. mm. like they didn't. Yeah, and then you might have like two. Like church churches kept records. Yeah. All right. So he's known for his eccentricities. How <laughs> of I course. Uh, his famous outdoor tea ceremony in the Kitano Shrine in 1587 made him receive the award from Hideyoshi for his wabi-suki aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think the tea what ceremony... What does any of that mean? Yeah, I don't know what that means. I, I should look it up, but I think the tea ceremony is like a really long thing, and you have to like kneel for the whole thing. Don't they just kneel when they... when they... they how they sit? Yeah, yeah, they have like the table when that doesn't have any chairs. Uh, I don't know. This was told to me by like an art teacher who was uh, American. Oh, was it the guy who fat? tried to show you his art during class? No, no, no. She was an art teacher. She was cool, but she was fat, and she was like joking about herself having to kneel for like four hours, and how she was like tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> Where was that? At, that was at Southern. Oh. Uh, he indulged in various eccentricities, including the erection of an oversized umbrella hung with reed fencing. What? Cool. Reed fencing? Well, it was so cool that he received uh, tax remittance for it. <laughs> uh, and he impersonated a priest. He's also noted for a practical joke. You guys are going to like this I one. I love practical jokes. <laughs> he played on the tea master, Sen no Rikyu. Uh, he invited him to a tea ceremony and booby-trapped the path to the tea room with a hidden pit. <laughs> he just built a pit trap. <laughs> That's like when, like we were gonna, when we were gonna dig uh, when we were kids, and I was gonna dig yeah. a hole. Do you know this? Yeah, and for, cover it with grass. Yeah, and then we we're gonna have a bike, quote unquote, bike race, and we we're gonna line up Matt so he went right in the hole. <laughs> and then we didn't this, do it. this is Looney Tunes. This it is. is like, and we joked that he was gonna show up. The things you actually did to Matt were way worse. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Well, in this case, Riku noticed the booby trap, and. He recognized the ruse and intentionally fell in the pit. <laughs> intentionally <laughs> fell in the pit? And then allowing the the main character of this article to rescue him and provide him with a bath and clean clothing. That sounds like a great tea ceremony. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would recognize a pit. I don't know if I would be maybe? expecting a pit in order maybe to Maybe he, he just said he recognized He's like, I totally saw it. I, just, I went in on purpose. I also don't think you would say, you know what? I'm going to go in on purpose because he's probably going to give me a bath after. <laughs> probably. I just really want a bath. It's yeah. some clean clothes. Yeah. And he definitely, maybe, you don't have a pit without a bath after. Maybe he was just a, a dirty hobo and he needed some new clothes and a bath. It's actually opposite. Hechikan was critical of Riku because he felt that the latter had not experienced the hardships of poverty. Whereas so that's he, why survived dug a hole. he survived on I've fallen in so many holes you have no idea. <laughs> you need to know what it's like. So he was really just trying to improve him as a person. Ah, he he used a single pot to cook his meals, draw water, and brew tea. Probably also his chamber pot. <laughs> and his fleshlight. Because he, he did write a poem about his tea kettle. Oh, you kettle, your mouth is protruding a little too much. Don't tell the others I cooked porridge in you. <laughs> Definitely his flashlight, too. <laughs> so he wrote poetry, and he collected all of it and burned his poems shortly before his death. <laughs> so, of course, they made a Japanese a manga about him that was adapted into anime. <laughs> and, and he's just, like, the main character. Here's the thing, acorns. What's with that? 
Eggcorns? Like, you know eggcorns? No. no. Eggcorns is like a name for when you mispronounce things like that. Oh, I do know this. Like, uh... Like when you say eggpants instead of eggplants. That's right. I got I got a list of them, and uh, you said the first one on the list before we started recording. Just so we know, everyone, he looked at Mike. That's who he looked at. I said it. I said, <laughs> I said whatever the bad thing is. I'm not used to this. <laughs> uh, agreeants. Which I didn't know was not a word. Agreeance? It was a combination of agreement and acceptance. I thought, not. like, are we all in agreeance? People so, say that. All right, I looked it up, and it says, a word that seems to be continually reinvented and recycled. Oh, so it's just a word now. I, yeah, but it's still on the list. We uh, can accept twerking, but we can't accept agreeance into the dictionary. That's a real word. <laughs> I like that when they show you what got accepted that year. Yeah. And it's like, finally, whoopee cushion. <laughs> It's well, finally what were the, some of the ones that Bobby's boss said. Fake words or words that got in the dictionary? Words that were mispronounced. Is that what eggcorns are? They're, they're mispronounced like words? That, they're sort well they're mispronounced. That's the worst but, example. Read another one. No, they make they make sense. Like eggcorn, like it's sort of egg shaped. Oh, okay. okay. So like instead of acorn. Another one is yeah. another thing coming, which apparently is supposed to be another think coming, although now the wrong one is more common. Biting my time instead of biting my time. Buck naked is apparently one of butt naked, but it says it might be the other way around. That's my porn name. <laughs> Buck naked. Yep. <laughs> Another Art Vandalay reference. Yep. <laughs> Some people say consinct is that on instead his of LinkedIn? concise. <laughs> uh, daring do. What? It's d. You say d a r i n g do instead of d e r r i n g. Well, the way you say it is the same. So. You say it is the same. And I've never said that. Oh, and I've never heard anyone say that. <laughs> <laughs> this one's hilarious. Die a rear instead of diarrhea. <laughs> literally die dash a dash rear. Like I don't know diabetes instead of diabetes. <laughs> I don't know who says this, but it's on the list. Oh, here, doggy dog world instead of dog eat dog world. That's a misheard thing. A scapegoat instead of scapegoat. Oh, ex espresso. That's one. Instead of, oh, instead espresso. Yeah. Apparently, people say extreme court instead of supreme court. Extreme court. Yeah. We need an extreme court. Right under the Everybody, you, you ride oh. in on a skateboard and do a. It's like do an ollie. Yeah, it's like idiocracy. It's a Terry Crews in a monster <laughs> truck. Flush out instead of flesh out. This one says flutter by, but that's a spoonerism, not an egg. What's a spoonerism? It's when you switch like butterfly flutter by like. What's another example sounds? of that? Um, I'll look it up. <laughs> so just stop talking. So there's. And I coughed to fill the space. <laughs> that was. No, that was the... Everybody's almost asleep by now. Hopefully, if they're still listening. It's a shame. Um, it means we made it way too if, interesting. If you make it to the end, you get nothing. If you make it to the end, you need to see <laughs> okay, a doctor three, about your insomnia. Three cheers for a queer old dean instead of dear old queen. A blushing crow instead of a, a crushing blow. It's like switching like a part. Ah, uh, okay. That's spoonerism. That's a spooner. That was a spoonerism. What does that have to do with anything? Spooner was a guy. Oh, okay. Reverend William Archibald Spooner. I wonder if he was known for eccentricities. Can you just <laughs> talk like that? Because then he's an asshole. Hey, belly <laughs> jeans. <laughs> this reminds me of Cockney slang, which I was looking up before this. You know what that is? Rhyming slang? Yes, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're going to alienate our Cockney viewers. <laughs> apples and pears. Stairs. Stairs. No, but apples and pears isn't stairs. It's just pears. Or no, it's just apples. apples. It's just yeah. apples. Like you say So I fell bees. down the apples. Say bees for money, because bees and honey. Yeah, what is money. it? That's from, just uh, say who bees. made this up? 
The British. <laughs> the British. Why? said fizzy drinks and juicy bits for pulp. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got a long one. You want me to do it or you want to end it? No, I want to hear it. All right. You're gonna like this. You're gonna like this one. I don't know if everyone else will. He's talking to Mike again. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you guys. Oh, uh, okay. Use guys. Use guys. Jones All our Italian viewers. Uh, all right, Bobby Fischer. Oh, I like Bobby Fischer. Yeah. Who was he? The chess player. Yeah. American chess grandmaster, eleventh world chess champion. He went Rennie crazy. Yeah, he That's went why he's on <laughs> Oh, you knew that? Oh yeah. He he went a little nuts. Uh. Many consider him the greatest chess player of all time. Early years. His birth certificate listed his father as Hans Gerhard Fischer, also known as Gerardo Liebscher, a German biophysicist. But they aren't sure who his dad was. There's like some other guy that was around a lot when he was a kid, and they, they think that might have been his dad. But then there was like, oh, there's FBI files on him that identify the other guy as his dad. Uh, and his mom... His mom had a hard time because of her communist sympathies. So, like, U.S. immigration officials accused her, and she, and she was, but it just, like, made it uh, tough for her to live. And the, the other guy who they thought was his dad's making, like, child support payments uh, and paid for his schooling. Didn't he drop out of school early he to did. play chess? He, he, he dropped out of school because he was, uh, there's a quote about it. Bobby Fischer, too cool for school. That's the quote. That's the quote. Pretty sure. That's what he shouted when he left the building. <laughs> he said, school's for fools, look at me. It's something like, I, I, don't, I don't see the point, but I can't find the quote. Uh, I think it's, we don't need no education. Mm -hmm. And then Pink Floyd wrote a song about it. Ripped it off. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but him him and his sister, uh, they, his mom bought them a chess set, and there was like instructions in it and how to play. And his sister lost interest, and his mom didn't have time, so he would just play against himself. Well, his sister got really good at checkers, right? <laughs> yeah. and then, Babsy Fisher. World, yeah. Cheshire, <laughs> World Checkers Grandmaster. Then in a, like a, a cottage or something, he found a book of old chess games to, and studied it. This poor kid had just nothing growing up except for a chessboard or something. That's why he's so good. It literally, <laughs> just literally nothing else. Like if he his mom up, was like, sorry, no time for you. Oh, my sister won't play this game with me. Guess I'll play by myself. If he grew up a little later, he would have been obsessed with Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a hobby. <laughs> World <laughs> Grandmaster of Chuck E. Cheese electronics. At 13, he won the game of the century. And a little while after it occurred, they asked him about it, and he was like reflecting on it, and he said, What's the game of the century? Uh, when he was 13 and he like beat some famous guy. Who was the guy? Does it say? It probably did. I don't, I don't have it. But it says, his quote was, I just made the moves I thought were best. I was just lucky. <laughs> Starting at age 14, he played in eight United States championships and won them all. At age 15, he became the youngest grandmaster up to that time and the youngest candidate for the world championship. Up to uh, that time? Does it mean there's a younger one now? Younger than 15? Probably. It was Donald... Burn, the guy he played against. It's not who I thought it was. I thought it was the guy who played against the computer. What is that? The Russian guy? Yeah. That's later. Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, or the Turk, the fake machine? No, it was that. Isn't that where, like, M-Turking comes from? Well, I don't know what that was. There was, like, a, a fake, a fake, like, chess-playing machine that was just a guy. What, a guy in a box? I think so. I'll that up <laughs> you just write it on a piece of paper and shoot I'll it out that of the up box. The next episode. <laughs> so, starting in 1954, he got he started getting coached by 
Grandmaster William Lombardy, and he says, I tried to instill him in him the secret of my own speedy rise. And he told him, do not accept draw offers. For an ambitious and talented player, accepting a draw is, a, is death to a top result. Uh, and opponents fear you if you're uncompromising and make more mistakes. Do not copy my timidity. Because he, he drew a match, like, willingly, and then was, like, real mad about it. <laughs> Um, His greatest regret. Bobby Fischer got the only perfect score in the history of the U.S. Championship. Uh, How do you get a perfect won... score in chess? Don't oh, you play more than one match. Oh, and he never he never lost a match? I guess. I, uh, there might be more to it. The scores are weird, so I just cut them all out. It's like, he won by half a point, which is like huge or something, I don't know. At the 1970 International Tournament, he won by a record margin, which was like probably like one and a half. Uh, and he won 20 consecutive games, including an unprecedented 6-0 sweeps of the candidates' matches. And he became the first official FIDE number one rated player. Seems weird to be the first number one rated, unless that was just starting. Maybe they just had a, a rating system and nobody was good enough for number one yet. Maybe. They were saving one. number one. <laughs> Here's a weird thing. He defeated the young Filipino master Rodolfo Tan in a New York match sponsored by Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> Seems weird. I wonder if they're still in the chess game. So his mom got him invited to Russia by like Nikita because she's Khrushchev. a communist. No, because <laughs> there was a chess thing there, and they couldn't afford for him to go. Uh, they didn't have money, so they got him to go to like some like student exchange thing or something, so he could play in the chess. And then, uh, oh, here it is. He ended his formal education at sixteen, dropping out of high school and subsequently taught himself several foreign languages so he could read chess periodicals. <laughs> Until 1959, Fisher dressed atrociously for a champion. That's a quote. He would go to international events in sweaters and corduroys. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, the Manhattan His mom probably chess club, dressed him. He was just poor. Yeah. The Manhattan yeah. Chess Club director banned him for not being properly accoutred. <laughs> and then... Uh, Someone got him reinstated, oh. and he started buying suits. No wonder why this guy went crazy. He's his love of chess. He gets kicked out of some club. He's, they're like, oh, you're so good, Grandmaster. Get out of the club. He made a lot of money off chess. Yeah. I wonder what he spent it all on. Suits to wear to the chess club. He said, by the time I reached, or by the time he reached fourth grade, he'd been in and out of six schools, and he said about school, you don't learn anything. So he dropped out the earliest he could legally do so. When he was 16, they moved out of their apartment so his mom could pursue medical training. And her friend, who had met her when they were idealistic communists living in Moscow, <laughs> believes Fisher resented his mother for being mostly absent as a mother, a communist activist and an admirer of the Soviet Union. That, and that led to his hatred of the Soviet Union, which was like the other big chess power, because his mom was abandoning him to, to like do communist stuff. Because she doesn't like her own kids. She only likes other people. <laughs> and and their apartment was on the edge of a neighborhood that, at that time, had one of the highest homicide rates in New York City. And she'd just leave him home alone. Who's going to leave? He's just going to sit there and look at a chessboard all day. He's yeah, all set. I guess it doesn't matter if she's there or not. So he, he had his only failure in his competitive career at the Buenos Aires tournament. According to Larry Evans... His first sexual experience was with a girl whom Larry Evans introduced him to at the tournament. And Fisher did horribly because he got caught up in women. 
Oh, no. Afterwards, <laughs> Fisher said he never mixed women and chess together. <laughs> <laughs> never again. And kept the promise. How did I know that? Because <laughs> now he's gay. So he went undefeated in the Stockholm International, the first non-Soviet player to win an international since the tournament started in 1948. So I was like, 14 years? I don't know. Well, for those who don't know, the Soviets, or Russians, like, trained to be chess masters since they're, like, babies. What about the mystery of chess boxing, Mike? Hmm. I don't know anything about that. Chess boxing's real. Is it really? Yeah, it's not just a Wu-Tang album. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not making that up, right? No. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't... <laughs> I'm not, not going to fact check you. Yeah. I am. Later. <laughs> I'm going to snoke you. I'm going to do it as a separate podcast. Fact-checking Naptime game. Yeah. Yeah. On the Snopes Podcast Network. So so he was he won that big tournament, and that made him a favorite in the Candidates tournament, which is like the biggest one. Yet he only finished fourth out of eight. Curious. Curious. He must have been mixing chess and women again. Uh-huh. No. The Russians fixed it. <laughs> and he said that, and it was like a big scandal. And it was in Sports Illustrated. When Bobby Fischer was playing, chess got in Sports Illustrated like a couple times. Three of the five Soviet players had a prearranged agreement to quickly draw their games against each other to conserve energy for playing against Fisher. And he like he proved this mathematically. This isn't like crazy Bobby Fischer yet. Most people believe that that was correct. <laughs> um, Mike, you read Freakonomics? No, I saw you, the documentary. Uh, on it. Do you remember the thing with the sumo guys? Yep. Yes. Oh, you watched that too? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I don't know if it was in the documentary. It was. Uh, yeah. They and they collude to like lose against someone if so that they can move to the next part of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Magic the Gathering, that's just accepted. Really? That people on the same team do that. That's funny. Yeah. I don't know. So so he was he said he would never again participate in the tournament since of the the collusion. So they changed the whole format of it from uh, like a round robin to knockout matches, and then he dominated it. <laughs> But he had, he had a bunch of stuff with the Soviets. He There was this guy, Mark Tamanov, and he insisted that he could beat Bobby Fischer. He was like, oh, Fischer's a mere computer. So he was really confident, and his like trainer put together a dossier on Bobby Fischer. And uh, it took like years for them to play a match because they had to like arrange where to play and the rules and stuff. And Bobby Fischer, the, the move Bobby Fischer beat him with was like, the, the guy asked him where he got it from, and he read it in a book, in a footnote of a book by the so- like a Soviet guy, and the guy was like appalled because he beat him with a move from a book that was in a language Bobby Fischer learned just for, for chess. chess yeah. yeah, that's funny. With the score at four zero in Fischer's favor, the fifth game adjournment was a sight to behold. Someone who was there says the the Tamanov guy came to Vancouver with seconds and grand they were grandmasters. So, like, guys to help him between matches and stuff. And they, see, he sits there with his seconds, and they're, like, discussing what to do, and then they come up to the game. And uh, at, the, at the fifth game, there, there was, like, so many, like, conflicting things that he was rattled, and he left a rook on prise, which means, like, able to be captured, and immediately resigned just from that <laughs> mistake. Embarrassment? Yeah. So uh, this guy was, like, a concert pianist and, like, really good at that, too. So he shrugged his shoulders and was like, well, I still have my music. And then uh, he went back to the USSR, was thrown off the team, forbidden to travel for two years, and banned from writing articles. 
<laughs> and deprived of his monthly stipend, which is like you were saying how they train people from children. Yep. They get they pay him so that they don't have to do anything. And then they prohibit him from performing on the concert platform. It basically ended his career. They probably killed him. <laughs> probably. And then there's like another guy that uh, the they reporters asked him like, "Will you last the full twelve games against Bobby Fischer?" And he's like, "I might win earlier." And Bobby Fischer destroyed him. Uh, they probably killed that guy too. <laughs> Let me just speed this up. All right, Bobby Fischer had career-long stubbornness about match conditions, so so he picked like a weird place that ended up getting him screwed because there were UN. Uh, sanctions against it, and he won prize money and didn't pay taxes on it, and then that got him kicked out of America. So he was living in different places, and then when he was in Japan, they they the authorities like roughed him up because he tried to use his American passport, which they rescinded. <laughs> and then while he was rotting in jail, he got Iceland to let him come there, and part of the reason was. Uh, because he played a match there earlier that, like, put Iceland on the map. That was a quote. Mm. <laughs> that's um, where he, like, ultimately ended up, right? Yeah, that's where he ended up. Yeah. He wrote a bunch of stuff that was anti-Jewish because, uh, oh, and the Encyclopedia Judaica listed him, and he was mad that they, he said, they fraudulently misrepresented me to be a Jew to promote your religion. And then he called the United States... He denied the Holocaust and called the United States a farce controlled by dirty, hook-nosed, circumcised bastards. Oh, my God. And so he's like a fugitive, and he just, like, left public life mostly. And then he did come out of retirement to, like, beat a computer. I feel like this is getting sufficiently boring to fall asleep. He invented a chess clock that became the standard, and a new type of chess. 